Today marks the second to last Sunday of the Epiphany season, as the season of Lent begins February 22nd on Ash Wednesday. And our goal this Epiphany has been to explore the various Epiphanies recorded in the Gospel of St. John. I've stated before, the word Epiphany simply means a revelatory manifestation of a divine being. So we've been considering the accounts recorded in the Gospel of St. John in which Jesus's divinity is revealed to someone and then that person makes a declaration, something like, you are the Son of God, or as we saw last week, the Holy One. Of God. Additionally, this Epiphany season, we have also considered our evangelical vision here at All Saints Church, which is this quote, Our vision is to grow in love and to reach out in love because we worship the loving God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In light of this evangelical vision to reach out in love, because we have been loved, this Epiphany season we've thought about the role each one of us plays in the epiphanies of others. Recognizing that no one will believe the gospel or put their faith in Christ unless they have the word preached, read, proclaimed, or explained to them. And in keeping with these two themes, Today's sermon text comes from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. And these verses record an epiphany of St. Thomas concerning the divinity of Jesus that took place in conjunction with the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And as we analyze this epiphany, I want to consider three segments of our text together. So number one, I want us to look at the disciples' report about Jesus' resurrection in verses 24 through 25. And then second, I want to look at Jesus' appearance to St. Thomas in verses 26 through 29. And then third, I want us to consider St. John's interpretation of Jesus' words in verses 30 and 31. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. I'm going to read that text and then pray a prayer of illumination. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace. Be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, 
and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you will reveal to us the significance and importance of St. Thomas's Epiphany. Father, help us to rightly understand your word, and then help us to live in light of this knowledge. We pray this by the power of the Spirit, and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In John chapter 19, the death and burial of Jesus is recorded. Here is a summary of details that St. John provides us with, as he is a first-hand eyewitness to these events. Quote, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. It's a summary of chapter 19, a summary of Jesus's death. And burial. The death of Jesus was of no small consequence. As we've seen in this sermon series, John the Baptist testified to the fact that Jesus was, in fact, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And if you recall, John the Baptist's words were a reference to the substitutionary and atoning sacrifice of Jesus, which did in fact take away the sin of the world. This, of course, was depicted in Isaiah 53 and foreshadowed by the Paschal Lamb in the Passover and the substitute ram in the place of Isaac. It was by his death on the cross that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God for everyone who would believe in him. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 3. On the cross, Jesus was a propitiation, absorbing God's wrath for us in our place so that we would not face God's judgment, but rather be justified and accepted by God through faith. The death of Jesus was monumental. It was of great significance. In John chapter 20, the resurrection of Jesus and his first appearances are recorded. 
And here's a summary of those details that St. John provides. Again, they're provided as a first-hand eyewitness to these events. Quote, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all that he said to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. It's a summary of chapter 20. Like his death, Jesus' resurrection was also of great significance, of monumental importance. By conquering death, Jesus demonstrated that in him is life, and that life is the light of men. Furthermore, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus proved his authority over all creation, demonstrating that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Also, the Apostle Peter declared in his epiphany that Jesus proved to be the Holy One by his resurrection. Because according to the Old Testament, the use of the term Holy One proved that Jesus was the King of Kings. And so in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul summarizes all of this concerning the resurrection by saying, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is Jesus' death and resurrection that provide the context for our Epiphany text this morning. It is the death and resurrection of Jesus that sets the stage for Thomas's epiphany. So with that, let's consider the first segment of our text. Look at verses 24 and 25 as we see the disciples' report about Jesus' resurrection to Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. John explains that on the day of resurrection, Jesus appeared to presumably all the disciples except for Thomas. And of course, not Judas, the Iscariot, who is no longer one of the twelve. Jesus even appeared to Mary Magdalene. The other Gospels tell us that he appeared to a woman named Joanna and a second Mary. 
And I think the natural question of the curious mind is something like this. Where was Thomas when all of this was taking place? When the disciples were interacting with Jesus, when the women were interacting with Jesus, where was Thomas? Taking into consideration Luke's account of these events, it seems that after Mary Magdalene reported to Peter and John, the eleven gathered in Jerusalem. And as they were tucking themselves away from the public's eye, the two unnamed disciples, who were not of the eleven or the twelve, those two unnamed disciples who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus, came and reported to the eleven about Jesus' resurrection. And it is plausible that Thomas did not believe their report, nor the report of Mary. And so it's likely that he went out to the gravesite to see for himself, while the other ten disciples discussed the resurrection. It is reasonable that at this point, Jesus appeared to the ten disciples in their hideout, as John describes in verses 19 through 23 here in chapter 20. Now, I recognize that Thomas's whereabouts is speculation on my part, but my explanation does fit all four gospel accounts in terms of timelines and who is present. Therefore, I personally think it is very likely that Thomas was at the gravesite looking for Jesus when he appeared to the ten disciples. This also helps explain some of his doubt. Thomas wanted to see the resurrected Christ, but could not find him. In fact, Christ seemed to be appearing to everyone but him. This reminds me of a line from a famous TV show or TV sitcom called Taxi, which aired in the 1970s and 1980s. My favorite character, the Reverend Jim Ignatowski, played by Christopher Lloyd, declared that in the 60s, I was finding God all over the place. But he kept ditching me. And I wonder if Thomas didn't feel the same way. That he was out there looking for the resurrected Christ, but Jesus was avoiding him and appearing to everyone but him. And therefore, I think he made a vexed statement. I will not believe unless I get to experience what the rest of you have experienced. Seeing the holes in the pierced side. This leads us to our second section of the text. Jesus' appearance to St. Thomas. Draw your attention to verses 26 through 29. Eight days later... His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand 
and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There are three things to note about Jesus as shown to us in these verses. And then I want to consider the epiphany itself recorded in verse 28. First, this is the second time that John tells us Jesus appeared to the disciples in a locked room. This detail has been the cause of much speculation. Particularly, there are many who ask, how was Jesus able to enter the room while the doors were locked? Did he walk through the walls? Did he climb in through the roof? Did he just appear in the middle of the room? While we don't have the specific details on how Jesus did this, we should recognize that this information presented by John affirms Jesus' divinity, as he is the one who works miracles and wonders. Furthermore, we should also recognize that Jesus has the functional ability to descend from heaven and ascend back to the Father. While we may struggle with the mystery of Jesus' power, our inability to comprehend does not negate the legitimacy of his actions. After all, John has just explained in the previous chapter that Jesus rose from the dead. So the first thing to note about Jesus is this. He is truly God. And thus he is able to do all that he pleases. Nothing is too hard for him nor can anything thwart his will. Second, we should note Jesus' omniscience displayed in this scene. In verse 25, Thomas is recorded as saying, I want to place my finger in the marks on his hands and put my hand into his side. And then here in verse 27, Jesus specifically says, Put your finger in my hand and place your hand in my side. Jesus knows Thomas's statement and repeats it back to him word for word. Again, this is evidence pointing to the divinity of Jesus as who else but God knows the hidden feelings and thoughts of the human heart and mind. Who else but God does not need to be physically manifested in a particular place or location in order to hear and respond to all of our words, all of our prayers? So the second thing to note is this. Jesus' divinity is displayed by his omniscience. He knows all things even to the minute detail. Third thing to note is this. It is important for us to recognize the kindness of Jesus. God did not owe anything to Thomas. 
Yet in his kindness, Jesus appears to Thomas and presents him with the very thing he sought. Objective forensic evidence that could be evaluated through the senses of sight, smell, and touch. While this isn't a clear indication of Jesus' divinity, it is consistent with the character of God, who reveals himself as being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In fact, this is something we all have experienced. Instead of being smitten or struck down for the foolish things we have said or done, God has shown you and I patience and forbearance. Here, Thomas was being demanding, as I pointed out earlier, probably because he felt slighted. However, God was not obligated to meet Thomas's demands. In fact, Jesus would have been just in rebuking Thomas. Yet Jesus demonstrates patience and kindness. And these three things, Jesus' divinity shown through his ability to appear in this locked room, demonstrating that he is the sovereign over the universe, along with his omniscience, knowing all things, and this character of patience and kindness, led Thomas to make the following declaration in verse 28. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Thomas's epiphany communicates two significant truths about Jesus. First, in agreement with Psalm chapter 2, Thomas declares that Jesus is Lord. He is the King of Kings, the supreme authority in the universe of whom all other world leaders and officials must submit to. This has important ramifications for our current cultural moment here in America. Any elected official willing to defy the moral law of God by promoting gay marriage, LGBTQ interests, critical race theory ideology, drag queen story hour, and abortion, any elected official promoting those things, supporting those things, has in fact set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. And thus, if they do not repent, Christ will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like clay pots, either in this generation or one to come. Here, Thomas is declaring the Lordship of Jesus. My Lord. Second, Thomas declares that Jesus is in fact God. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus was accused of claiming to be God. Here, Thomas affirms those accusations in a positive manner by saying, yes, Jesus not only claimed to be God, but he proves to be God by the resurrection. 
This second declaration affirms that Jesus is in fact the creator of the universe and the savior of his people. Therefore, as God, Jesus is worthy of our worship. Just as the kings and world leaders should look to Christ and take note that he is an authority. So all of creation should look at Jesus and note that he is worthy of worship. Here in his epiphany, Thomas says, my God. John tells us that Jesus replied to Thomas by saying, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. This leads us to the third and final segment of our text. Consider verses 30 and 31 as we look at St. John's interpretation of Jesus' words. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. St. John explains that he penned his gospel account so that everyone who didn't get to see the resurrected Christ in person, as Thomas did, might experience their own epiphany and believe in his name through the word of John's testimony. In other words, as John wrote this gospel account, he was operating with an evangelical vision. If you recall from the early sermons in this series, I noted that biblical scholars decipher between John the Baptist and St. John by applying the title evangelist to the latter. And they do that because of verses 30 and 31. After bearing witness to the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, John sought to evangelize and disciple the nations, people who didn't see Christ, as a response to Jesus' words. In verses 21 and 22 of chapter 20, we have similar prescriptions to those found in the Great Commission passage and Acts chapter 1. In verses 21 and 22, Jesus extends peace to the disciples, and then he commissions them, he sends them into the world as he was sent, with the power of the Holy Spirit, to carry out the realization of his coming kingdom. In other words, the apostles were emissaries of Christ's kingdom, preaching its establishment on earth as it is in heaven to people who may or may not have interacted with Christ in the flesh. Therefore, John sought to evangelize and disciple through his writing so that others would have personal epiphanies coming to Christ in faith 
And John sought to evangelize and disciple because these two things are part and parcel to the coming of Christ's kingdom. In closing, I want to make a point of application and then consider two motivations for that application. This epiphany season, as we consider our evangelical vision to reach out in love because we have been loved, it is important that we do not miss the role each one of us plays in the epiphanies of others. As I said in my opening remarks this morning, it is important to note that no one will believe in Jesus unless they have the word preached, read, proclaimed, or explained to them. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? In light of this, All Saints Church, I exhort you to reach out to the people of Lancaster County, preaching the message of Christ for all of life. I exhort you to reach out to your neighbors, co-workers, and preach all of Christ for all of life. Reading, explaining, talking about, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. This semester, we have been presented with three practical ways to do just that. First, we were invited by Gary Christman with Disciple Makers to join his ministry on the campus of Thaddeus Stevens. Gary said he is looking for people who are willing to give two hours of their time once a week and either make lunch and drop it off on campus for their large group Bible study, or he's looking for volunteers to be present on campus, engaging with students, particularly around the idea of worldviews. That was the first opportunity. Second, our church has been invited by Stephanie Smith from Bible to School to teach Bible lessons in the Lancaster public school system. Again, this is a once-a-week commitment for about two hours. Third, today we had the privilege of having Pastor Joel Saint with us in Sunday school. And he invited us to join him as he engages with the county commissioners here in Lancaster. His invitation includes being present and creating a critical mass of people at the public meetings, or by speaking directly to the county commissioners at those meetings, calling them to submit to Christ and to his law. Thus far, every opportunity that has been presented to us as a church has the potential to be a great way for us to exercise our evangelical vision. Each invitation is ripe with opportunity to possibly participate in the epiphany 
of another person. Preaching, teaching, and explaining the gospel to someone who has not believed. This is probably a good place to qualify my statements. Do not hear what I am not saying. I am not saying that you should abandon the responsibilities you have to your family in order to fulfill a ministry across town or across the street. Why should you forsake the mission field in your house for a mission field across town? That doesn't make any sense. And that isn't what I am admonishing you to. Furthermore, you are already fulfilling the Great Commission as you raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so I don't want you to detract from that. What I am saying is this. As you have opportunity to participate in evangelical work outside of your home and this church, take advantage of it. If you have a couple hours in your schedule that can be extended or expended on teaching the Bible to unbelieving children in the public school system, or if you have time to engage with skeptics on a local college campus, then go for it. Do it, and do it with the motivation that John had in writing his gospel, with the hope of influencing the epiphany of someone else. So that's the application. In celebration of this epiphany season... Go and preach all of Christ for all of life to Lancaster County. Here are my two motivations for that. First, as we saw from Thomas's declaration, Jesus is God and therefore worthy of our worship. As people who have been redeemed by Jesus, we should want to see more people come to Christ in faith so that Jesus would be glorified throughout the world. We should desire to see the Lamb who was slain receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We should desire to see Christ worshipped in every home in Lancaster County. This first motivation is rooted in love for God. And love for his glory. If we love Christ, we should desire to see worshipers worshiping him. The second motivation is also influenced by Thomas's declaration. Because Jesus is Lord and will smite all his enemies, you and I should preach the gospel as a means of warning people of the wrath that is to come. Now, you might think, why would we want to save the enemies of God from his wrath? Shouldn't we want to sing imprecatory psalms over all his enemies? Imprecatory psalms do have their place in the Christian life. However, if you can't rationalize why you would want to warn anyone about God's wrath, it's probably because you have forgotten that you yourself were once an enemy of God. 
You've probably forgotten that you were at one time perverse and led astray. Like the rest of mankind, you were for a time a child of wrath, destined for God's judgment. But God, being rich in mercy, made you alive together with Christ, and he used the practical means of the word preached, read, or explained, in conjunction with the Spirit's power, so that you might believe in Jesus' name and find life, eternal life, in his name. God, in his kindness, sent someone into your life to explain the gospel to you while you were still a sinner. The motivation for preaching to the county commissioners is not simply just to get the political outcomes we desire. Instead, the motivation for preaching to the county commissioners is that they would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, escape his wrath, and faithfully serve him while in their public office. The second motivation is love for neighbor. Wanting to see other people experience the saving grace of God because we have experienced the saving grace of God. And of course, a positive result of preaching to the county commissioners and seeing them come to faith in Jesus would be having God-fearing leaders who would bring about God's blessing in our county as opposed to bringing about God's judgment. As Pastor Joel explained this morning in Sunday school, it is either Christ or chaos. So we do want the county commissioners to bow the knee to Christ, as he so aptly put it this morning, to restore sanity to political offices, to public life. You could say that motivation there, maybe there's a third motivation. One would be our joy. Experiencing the joy of living under leaders who worship and serve the Lord. But those are the two motivations to go into Lancaster County and preach the good news of the gospel. Because Christ is worthy of worship and because we want to see people experience the grace of God in the same way that we have. Therefore, dear saints, as we consider the epiphany of St. Thomas this morning, in which he declared that Jesus is Lord and God. Again, I admonish you to preach all of Christ for all of life in all of Lancaster County, so that Christ would receive the glory that is due him, and sinners would experience God's grace, and you and I would experience the joy of God's blessing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you bow your head with me as we bring our prayers and petitions to the Father? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the good news of the gospel. That in your kindness and your mercy, you did not leave us in the muck and mire. You did not leave us to be objects of wrath. But instead, in your kindness, you revealed the person and work of Jesus Christ to us. 
Like Thomas, we experienced and saw Christ for who he really is. Lord and God. I pray, Father, that we would go from this place today, worshipers submitted to the Lordship of Jesus in our lives, worshiping him for his work of redemption in saving us. Father, I pray that you would motivate us and empower us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be instruments in the epiphanies of other people in Lancaster County. I pray, Father, that we would be vessels carrying the gospel into our neighborhoods, into our places of work. And I pray, Father, that we would see a harvest, perhaps even a harvest that we did not labor for. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers.